Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. Today, we're wrapping up our series on cities with a continuation of our discussion with Carol Kampiecki. Kampiecki directs the Center on Urban Research and Public Policy and the Interdisciplinary Program in Urban Studies here at Washington University in St. Louis. In a previous episode, she discussed some of the issues that face cities across the globe. Today, Kampiecki shares some of her own ongoing research. She'll describe two current book projects, both of which focus on problems facing low-income neighborhoods in specific American cities. She'll also continue her discussion of what makes urban studies as an academic field so complex and so important. So I'm doing the book on Detroit. The title of the book is called No Place to Be Somebody. And uh, I'm doing it with a colleague, Margaret Beale Spencer at the University of Chicago. It's a two-volume study. The first volume looks at the ecology of Detroit and the east side of Detroit, which is where all the poverty is. And as I'm sure you're well aware, Detroit has now been placed in receivership. There's absolutely no money in the city. The population has declined in droves. So there's no financial base to keep the city going to pay for water, sewage, and the like. And so I'm studying the east side of Detroit. The first volume of No Place to Be Somebody looks at what's happened to the city over decades, over the past three, four decades, and what's the status of the residents? Where do they go? What do they do for basic services such as health care and housing and food? And uh, you're finding we can go for, we were driving for miles and miles and we were taking pictures of the east side of the city, and there are no grocery stores. There's literally a food desert. There are a lot of uh, liquor stores and mom-and-pop shops, but no stores that provide milk and vegetables and uh, things like that, which help youngsters to grow and, and to flourish. So that's a project that I'm working on. It's very dear to my heart. Again, it's a two-volume study called No Place to Be Somebody. Detroit isn't the only Midwestern city that Camp Yankee studies. If you tuned into our previous episode, you know she has a particular interest in the causes and effects of urban renewal a process that is happening in cities across the U.S., but with differing circumstances and results. Another book volume that I'm doing is called Up From Rust, question mark, The Promise and Peril of Urban Renewal. And what that book does is it looks at three Rust Belt cities, former Rust Belt cities, Chicago, Illinois, Cleveland, Ohio, and Huff in Pittsburgh. And we're looking to see what has happened to the poorest neighborhoods demographically as a result of urban renewal. And the neighborhood I am studying in Chicago is the Inglewood neighborhood on almost the south south side of the city. And it's called the Devil's Playground. And it's called the Devil's Playground because it has such heightened murder rate. And it's primarily among gangs. And uh, the other dynamic that's occurring is not only are they gang members, but the, just the massive access to guns. Not that Chicago doesn't have stringent gun policies. It does. It's those city, those locales outside of the city proper that 
have their own laws, which uh, Chicago cannot control. And uh, you also have guns coming in from the state of Mississippi. They're coming across the border from uh, Wisconsin and uh, Indiana. And unfortunately, that fuels youngsters' access to guns. And clearly, the constant that the thread that runs through is poverty and the lack of opportunity. And uh, one of the best antidotes to poverty is education and going to school. And so we literally can't afford to defund the schools. Campieke's belief in education as an antidote to poverty is based in both research and observation. One example may be found within Inglewood itself, the neighborhood that she's studying. They have a college prep school in Inglewood that is rather unique in terms of its ability to turn so many youngsters around and send them to college. They have almost 100% college placement rate. And it's a a wonderful school, but again, it's it's almost like an oasis, and everyone can't get in. So what do you do with the rest of the youth who live in that particular area? And what's happened, you've got a lot of youngsters out of school, because what happens when you have foreclosed housing, there's no industry, there are no jobs, is that uh, those who can move and those who are mobile move out and those who can't stay. Of course, at some level, this makes a lot of sense. Why would you choose to stay in a neighborhood with a nickname like the Devil's Playground if education or increased income gave you the choice to leave? But in this cycle, the neighborhood itself remains impoverished, and related problems are occurring in the other two cities featured in Up From Rust. So we're looking at Cleveland, and the particular neighborhood we're looking at is Central Neighborhood. And Central Neighborhood is probably the most destitute neighborhood in Cleveland. And uh, it just got its first grocery store in two decades. Two decades. The neighborhood that we're studying in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is unique because now it really is boomtown in terms of former steel town and the like, but the level of investment and reinvestment in Pittsburgh is absolutely tremendous. So this neighborhood is particularly unique because we're looking at the fact that so many people want to move into it because it has close proximity to downtown and their uh, tremendous technological infrastructure. So each the, each development that is happening in the three cities that we're looking at and looking at up from rust, the promise and peril of urban renewal, shows very different things in terms of development patterns that can occur or have not occurred relative to poor populations. And that's always been my focus. And whether those poor populations are the aged, whether they're middle-aged, or whether we're talking about young people, because they're all interconnected in terms of a systems perspective. The social policies which impact one generally pretty much in the literature parallel the social policies which impact the other. In our previous episode with Campiegi, she made the point that pretty much every discipline relates to urban studies. For example, the problem of central neighborhood in Cleveland going for so long without a grocery store. It's a social and economic issue, but it also relates to public health. And in fact, public health is something that often comes up in urban studies, because many public health issues have the potential to arise in dense urban areas. 
when we tell everyone you have to get inoculated for the flu. Well, why is that important? Well, it wouldn't be important if you lived on the farm and your next neighbor was 100 miles away. In a city, a flu can cause quite an epidemic. And the reverberations that can occur through the economy, through schools, through people's ability to work or not work, has impediments and import for almost every strata of society. And along with being tied up with the economics of a city, public health issues and environmental issues are often intertwined. One of Camp Yankee's students illustrated this type of connection in a recent research project. One of my students last year did a thesis on the illegal dumping of tires in East St. Louis, Illinois. Well, most people would say, oh, it's East St. Louis, Illinois, it's just a bunch of tires, what's the big deal? Well, the problem is it was right on the Mississippi River, right on the Mississippi River. And not only were they dumping the tires as an environmental hazard, but he was dumping them on the Mississippi River where people still fish and eat the byproducts of what's in the Mississippi River. In addition, the burning of the tires in and of itself leads to toxic air and pollution. And the neighborhood that he was dumping them in were very poor neighborhoods where people have less access to health care. So you see the reverberations all the way down the road, and we know what happens in, when we have toxic sites. We see the, the byproduct of living in toxic environments for two and three generations, and it impacts the young, not only the elderly, but the young as well, who are either going to be born or who are living or playing on those sites. At the end of our last episode, Camp Yankee spoke about how, despite the wide variety of interconnected problems facing cities, she believes that even in increasingly dense urban environments, humans have the ability to confront the issues that arise and to live cooperatively with one another. Many students of urban studies share that belief. According to Camp Yankee, it is in fact the complexity and the interdisciplinary nature of the problems at hand that drive current and future students of urban studies to look for solutions. Urban studies is a topic I could talk about for hours and hours on end because it does, it lends itself to the human condition, which I'm very concerned about. There's almost no aspect of the population that it doesn't touch. It lends itself to every every corner of the globe. It lends itself to politics and public policy. It lends itself to conflicts about special interests and who is going to gain in terms of particular special interests across the globe. It's just a fascinating field of endeavor. I think the students are excited because they see it as so many avenues for growth and intellectual development. And they're sitting in classes with kids who are maybe from the uh, Sam Fox School who uh, are more interested in buildings. Well, you'll get someone who's more interested in uh, the health of people who live in the buildings and say, okay, buildings for what sake? (laughs) For what purpose? For what end? To what extent uh, will they lead to a healthier environment for people to live in and to commingle and live with one another since we are living in much more dense populations as opposed to much more scattered populations. Many thanks, once again, to Carol Camp Yankee for contributing to Hold That Thought. 
Our previous talk, along with Hold That Thought's entire series on cities, can be found on our website, thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu. Also, be sure to tune in next week for a special preview of our summer series retellings, which will be hosted by Rebecca King and feature Washington University's creative writing program. As always, thanks for listening.